Live Above the Noise, the Choiceful Family Project. Welcome to Live Above the Noise, the Choiceful Family Project. I'm your host, Wayne Yurcha. Our digital world brings us many benefits, but it also exposes our children to an addictive and toxic mix of tech, media, and consumerism that harms their healthy development and undermines their happiness. To better navigate the ever-increasing pressures and challenges of this accelerating digital world, today's children and families need to develop a power we call choicefulness. Choicefulness is a power built on a new and different set of skills, skills specifically designed to protect and prepare our children for a fulfilling future in the age of noise. So if you're a parent looking for new ways to engage with your children, motivate your children, and prepare them for a positive future, we have created this podcast to help you. Thank you for joining us. This is episode number six, and once again, we're here with my podcast partner, developmental and educational psychologist and kids media expert, Dr. Rob Ryer. Now, in podcast number five, we talked about time. And we talked about a strategy that we call time design and how we can use time design to begin to shift the quality of our time to get more balance in our lives. And we're going to continue that conversation in this podcast. So just to give you a reminder of what the five types of time are, the first type is TCB time. That's taking care of business time. Type number two is toxic time. Number three is C-time, coping time. Number four, E-time, enrichment time. And number five, I-time, inner time. Now, Rob, to start this conversation, I thought we could talk about something that all of us are feeling these days, and that is time compression. So tell us about time compression. Yeah, well, we often think that it's only about time, but it's really about space, and the technical term is really time-space compression. And what we know about that is that since we are in a digital world, we're basically able to be in touch with anyone, anywhere. So our space has moved from our own locale out to virtually the entire world. And at the same time, we have more and more information coming in. I believe it's uh, the last thing I heard with research was there's something like a 120% increase in information per year. Wow. So you can imagine the extraordinary amounts of information that are coming in. So think back a a while back where that was not possible at all before the internet and before social media. We, We didn't have all those connections and couldn't connect instantaneously all around the world with anybody we wanted to. So that changes one thing, which is the spaces that we're in. Uh, if we're in more spaces, And simultaneously, we are now in social media and talking to lots of people in multiple spaces. It's going to reduce the amount of time that we think we have. And it's going to also change that quality of time to be focused on the outside world around us to all those spaces we can be in, which are very, very juicy, delicious spaces. And what I mean by that is they create a dopamine rush for the most part. They engage you in the fact that you're biochemically now getting excited by all those spaces, all those possibilities. Not a bad thing, as long as you can maintain your own balance 
with what else you need to do and you don't get lost in your outside world. And at the same time, all that's going on, we feel like we have less time and time is therefore compressed to the point where we never seem to have enough time. And these um, things that are so appealing to us, they are going back to that conversation a couple podcasts ago where we sort of drop into that emotional brain, the lower side of our brain, don't we? Where we're not really thinking so much about uh, what we're doing. We're just kind of caught in things emotionally. Yeah, when you think about that, we often neglect the fact that we are biological and therefore we are pleasure seekers and therefore things that give us pleasure we repeat more often. We create habits around those things. So that biochemical piece, as well as moving us into our emotional brain, is very, very compelling, very, very addictive. And it's something that in the future, if the people that control the media and technology know how to do that better and better and deeper and deeper and quicker and quicker and more emotional involvement, such as virtual reality, that's a major, I mean, I think from my point of view, it's the biggest problem on the planet. And the reason I say that is because we now have research about what, what is going on with youth, with their brain because of the addiction. And some of the research that's on our site talks about digital dementia, which is basically changing the way memory span works and attention span works based on staying on our screens and being involved too much in screen time and outside time and not enough time inside. If digital dementia continues to occur, that reduces our ability to think and to use our high brain functions that we've already talked about. That's a massive, massive, I consider it the biggest problem on the planet today because dopamine and pleasure and the brain being wired to be having emotional hit is really, really, really gratifying. And it's hard for people to say, I don't want that, or I'm going to be able to control that. It's become more and more difficult. And we'll talk about inside versus outside communication. But basically, here's a great example. If you tell somebody to sit, just sit for a minute and be quiet. What happens to them? Either they start thinking, I'm wasting time. I'm not getting anywhere. I'm not doing anything. Or they feel like, ah, uh, this is boring. You know, all that starts to go on. And that's working on the inside of yourself. And you're saying, wow, if the outside becomes so dominant, so juicy, so delicious to be outside and to be in that dopamine world, the inside is going to become more and more difficult because it's going to become more and more boring or you're going to think you're wasting time, which is exactly what happens when you get people to try to be quiet. Well, and one of the concerns I know that we have is this whole idea of how time compression and everything we're talking about here affects relationships. I think we see that all the time. You know, you walk into a restaurant and you see people on their phones. You see people in many, many situations where they could be communicating in some fashion. They're not looking at each other. They're not paying attention to each other. You see this with kids. You see this with adults, everybody. And it's just become an epidemic in that way. And the funny thing is, a lot of people know that. They know it. They feel it. They don't necessarily want it, but they're doing it. So how does time compression and this whole idea with this decline in many ways of the, of the depth of our relationships, clearly that's tied together. 
But what's happening here? Why, why don't we recognize, geez, we shouldn't be doing this all the time? Yeah. Well, here's a, and here's a great example of how that is working. Remember years ago, if you wanted to talk to somebody, you had a meeting. The only way you could do that was in person. And nowadays, you know, you have teleconferencing and you, I was just in one the other day, there's six or seven people on the teleconference. But here's the interesting thing, communication levels, you know, there's like four or five different levels of communication going from the most superficial level to the most intimate level. And when you're on teleconferencing, for example, I always get a feeling like I didn't even know the person I was talking to. You know, I, I heard his voice, but it was at the most superficial possible level that if I passed him on the street, I wouldn't even know, you know, recognize him. So when technology moves us into communicating superficially, it starts to create all kind of havoc with regard to intimate relationships. And so we see it every day, you know, with regard to kids. And I see it every day at the gym when I work out, there's like everybody in the gym is on their phone. And I'm thinking, wow. And when they talk to you, I know there's, we have some people that are on our uh, Noise Watch website that are absolutely amazed by this idea of what's happening with communication and how it's breaking down. In fact, there's one guy that talks about like how you can recognize the level of intimacy in the communication based on what a person does with their cell phone. And it's pretty fascinating to watch because he said, if you go into a meeting and somebody sets their cell phone next to them and it's faced up and they interrupt the meeting or the communication by looking at their cell phone. That's what's happening on a larger and larger scale, which then sends a message to the other person like, you're not as important as my phone or who's on the phone. And we're feeling that. We're feeling that all the time with regard to how people communicate with us and the level of intimacy from their body language that we can feel based on eye contact, how they hold their body and they relate to us and, and connect with us. So all of that's breaking down. And we're paying a price for that. And I know that you've talked to me about kids that you've taught who have admitted to you straight out that they're great working with social media. They're great on their device, but they really get anxiety and they really have problems when they have to deal with people on a one-to-one -one basis. You know, what does that do in a society? Yeah, it's extraordinary. And when you think about it, it's pretty easy to be dishonest on technology. You can fake your role, you fake your identity, you can fake a lot of things. But when you get to eye contact, intimacy, and one-on-one -on -one and talking about who you are and authenticity, you can't hide that stuff. You know, whether you like it or not, people see it in you and they can tell if you're authentic or honest or not. So the kids that I was working with are basically kids that are a little more self-protective based on the fact that they're schooled in how to create their own identities and create what they think other people want. And then when they get into a real-life situation, real communication system, that becomes a little bit different now, and your exposure is at a much higher level. So you can't fake that anymore. And what's happening in society, it's pretty easy to fake it. And that's a problem. What is the impact of, you know, this is a deeper conversation and we're going to, this is all tying into time. But as a psychologist, if you're a child and you're growing up in a situation where you're never or very rarely real amongst people who you hope will see you in a valuable way, what is the psychological impact of that over time? 
Yeah, well, what it's about, in my mind, in my estimation, it's about establishing your identity, finding out who you are, what makes you tick, what your individual differences are, and how it is that you can communicate your identity. If you alter that identity for the sake of others, then the question becomes like, well, then really, who are you? If that particular identity that is underneath is not showing up because you're afraid to let it show up. So the long-term implications are going to show up in leadership, people that are not afraid to challenge the status quo, that can move into the world and take a stand and have a point of view and love their own integrated personal identity, or being subservient to the outside implications of who you're supposed to be. And this gets right into the idea, of course, choicefulness, which has those three components of awareness, ability, and control, doesn't it? Those are huge in terms of whether or not you're going to be able to live that authentic life. Uh, You know, we've talked about this in other podcasts. I can't emphasize enough that these three factors, awareness, ability, and control, are hierarchical. And therefore, it makes awareness the number one thing that must occur. So the question then becomes, and I know we'll, we'll deal with this in future podcasts a lot deeper. The issue then becomes my internal awareness and my external awareness. I can be very, very aware of what's going on around me, but it's really, am I aware of what's going on inside me? If I sacrifice that internal awareness, I sacrifice the identity, my potentials, my future. So I can't afford to to sacrifice my identity and who I am. Therefore, I can't afford to neglect my inner awareness. And that's one of the single biggest problems that I see occurring today in society. And that takes us right back to the two types of time, which we feel are the most important types, which are enrichment time and I time, which is inner time. So you're really talking about inner time here, aren't you? When you're talking about balance, you're talking about how do you create more I time or inner time? Yeah, I say uh, from my point of view that the balance is way out of whack and has become more and more out of whack over the last 10 years so that outer time has taken the priority. So if you look at what we've already talked about, we talked about the cycle of noise originally. Noise creates more noise, distraction, distortion, disruption, all those factors. Therefore, those are interfering with how you view yourself. It's hard enough when you know you want to spend the time to see what's going on inside. There's an article in uh, the July 2018 issue of Scientific American about the 10 things that we probably don't know about ourselves, And it really discusses how difficult it is, first of all, to know ourselves and to understand ourselves truly in the first place. So that's hard enough if you have intention to do that. But if you have no intention to do that, you simply uh, become conditioned by the outside communication. And then you wonder why you're sad, you're depressed, suicide rate is going up, why all that's happening underneath you. It's because there's no conduit to the solid base of who you are and your own personal identity. So in many ways, we get into that whole idea that people somehow mistake coping time for these other kinds of time, don't they? Where they think if they're coping, that in some way enriching or 
or that they're spending time inside and uh, in eye time, but it's not that at all, is it? I mean, coping is a whole different area that can fool us into somehow thinking that we're getting balance, but we're not balanced at all. We're just kind of putting things off. Is that part of it all? Yeah. And I, th- I think the another word that's in my mind synonymous with coping is compensation. So if you're in pain, if you're suffering in any way, emotionally or physically, you, you cope. And basically, you do your best to compensate. How do you do that? Well, you want to restore some kind of sense of feeling good. And how do you go about doing that? Well, you want a dopamine rush, right? Let me get something that gives me a sense of pleasure. So then you discover whether it's drugs or alcohol or addiction to cell phone or video games or other factors, you discover a way to cope and to get a rush, a pleasurable rush. So that's, again, not what we're talking about with eye time. And it's what makes eye time so difficult because eye time it doesn't give you the rush that you get from coping mechanisms the same way at all. So there's certainly a whole different level of pleasure from eye time and forms of coping. And that's one of the things that if you don't do any eye time, uh, you build nothing in and you get further and further away from any internal self-discovery, it gets harder and harder over time to have that work for you and even give you any sense of pleasure at all from doing the kind of eye time that's necessary. Well, and I think one of our concerns is certainly that there are whole generations of kids that maybe don't even have something to compare their current situation with. So, I mean, if you're growing up in a situation where you're not even remotely thinking about eye time, because the powers of tech media and consumerism are teaching you, and as we say, training you to stay down in that emotional brain, to never do that. You don't even know what's possible for you, do you? No, and, and, and I think it's really important for our listeners to understand that if you ask the question, what is one of the single most important factors that a person needs to understand that leads to success? And what Daniel Goldman and the emotional intelligence work has shown is it's emotional intelligence. It's not rational cognitive intelligence. It's emotional intelligence, which is basically understanding your own emotions, understanding other people's emotions, and being able to be successful in the world because you have that sense of who you are and who others are, and you can use that knowledge or awareness to connect with others. So emotional intelligence, whether it's Daniel Goldman's work or, or the work of Gardner out of Harvard University, who called it a different name, intrapersonal intelligence, but both of those are what you understand about yourself. And that's the way I time works is if it's the most important factor for the future, for your success, and we see ourselves drifting away from it, you can easily understand what's going to happen in the future if we deepen the outside kinds of of immersion tools that come from technology and media. So with that in mind, Rob, what do you think the choiceful challenge should be for today? I think the most important thing, given that we're spending some time here on awareness, is to use your awareness to discover how you're communicating with other people. How many times do you cut people off? How many times do you prefer to pay attention to your phone versus paying attention to another person? 
And if the level of intimacy is being reflected in the fact that you're disconnecting from another, and do you sense that they sense it? And notice if there's something going on with other people when you're around them where you give your phone the priority over them. What do you sense about that? And that's critical in terms of how the other person is responding. So the challenge would be notice that for a while. Just get a sense of how other people are responding to your indifference or your preference for a digital world versus an interactive world with another. Well, thanks, Rob. That's our Choiceful Challenge for the week, and that's our podcast for today. Next time in podcast number seven, we'll be talking to a special guest. Christine is a health and fitness coach and a busy mom of two who lives in the Los Angeles area. And we'll be talking to her about the challenges that parents face today in this age of nonstop noise and also her thoughts on what she calls body noise. So we're really looking forward to that. And until then, thank you so much for listening and live above the noise. Hello, everyone. If you'd like to get our email update about new episodes, tips and tools, and all the latest information, please sign up for our Noise Watch update on our liveabovethenoise.com website.